You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Good day, my friends, and once again, we thank you for hopping on board the latest edition of Gun on One. I'm Derek Gunn, and of course, the NBA's continue to move on without the Philadelphia 76ers. It has been a few days since they bowed out, and you know, people in this area, they can take losing if you give a maximum effort. And obviously, what we saw the last two games from the Sixers against the Miami was not a maximum effort. So for this particular podcast, I brought in just not just a friend and a colleague, but somebody who can really break it down in terms of what he saw. Someone who holds the 76ers near and dear to his heart. And he's a good friend of mine. Uh, I've done a football show for him on 97.5 to Fanatic the last couple of seasons, but his forte is the mm. hoop game. I'm talking about the one and only Devon Givens. What's up, my brother? D. Gunn, what's happening, man? Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here and uh, glad to be able to talk some hoops with you. Unfortunately, under these circumstances for uh, the fourth of the last five seasons in the postseason, this is where we are. But Hey, we, they, they leave us with a lot to discuss. That's, that's for certain. I, I want to go back because the 76ers have not made it to a conference final since 2001. Yeah. Now, let's go back to the last two games first. Sure. You've watched this team a lot longer than I have. I want you to give me your expert opinion on what we witnessed the last couple of games from a 76ers team, many thought had the capability to at least getting to the conference finals. Well, first, I, I was really surprised the game five will start there in Miami after the Sixers took those two games at home to even up the series. And we have something there. We have a best of three at this point. And the 76ers seemed like they figured something out. Defensively, it was working, only giving up 79 points in that game number five. Uh, pardon me, game number three in the first one with Embiid back, and then beating them 116-108 at home. Again, defensively still doing things. Jimmy Butler had to have 40 points 
in order for the Miami Heat to stick with the 76ers. And James Harden went off. But what I saw in game five was a lack of effort, a lack of intensity, matching the intensity of the Miami Heat. We know that they are a tough team. The Sixers did not have that same toughness. And after a while, when they got punched and they got punched early, uh, they did not answer that gut punch. And I was really surprised. And I'm not saying that the Sixers have the, the toughest players out there uh, that the Miami Heat have. P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, et cetera, those types of players. The Sixers don't really have that type of, of player on their team. But they've been able to do without that type of player on their team. And it, it hurt them. Because where was that with your leadership from Danny Green to Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, James Harden, to make sure that not only did the younger players not necessarily, I'm not going to say fold under the pressure, but kind of crumble in that spot and, and not know how to respond to that gut punch, the veterans didn't do it. And, and I was really surprised that after what we witnessed in those two games back here in Philadelphia, D-Gun, that they didn't have that travel with them to Miami. And then you follow it up. Okay, we got hit and we got hit pretty well. We'll respond much better when we return to our home floor on Thursday night in game six to force a game seven. And anything can happen at that point, a 50-50 game in that game seven on Sunday, which would have been yesterday. They did not do it. Again, same thing, no effort, lack of intensity. The 50-50 balls went the Miami Heat's way. And again, that's all about effort. Those loose balls. and The shot may not fall all the time, but the one thing that you should be able to count on every time you step on the field of play, whether it's the ice, the field, the court, effort. They did not have the effort. I watched a lot of basketball, and I can't tell you the last time a coach would admit after a game. One game he kept telling them, guys, you got to play harder. And enough game, you're telling them, we have to fight. Yes. These are grown men who are living the dream of playing in the NBA. Your neck is, is on the line in game five and six. How does a coach have to tell his players to fight harder or this thing is coming to a close? I don't get it. I, that one I don't get either. Now, look, sometimes you just that, – that one voice, you're tired of it after 96 games, right? <laughs> you're, you're tired of it. It's going one ear out the other. Then the assistant coaches come in. They settle that down, and the players take it for what it, for what it is. But at the end of the day – and Doc Rivers is taking a lot of heat, some of it, justifiably so. I've been one of those people – I'll raise my hand and, and point out that I've been one of those people that have been tough on Doc Rivers during this time here. But that being said – when we're starting to get those 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 messages that we see D-Gun on social media and then the phone calls on, on the radio show that this is Doc Rivers' fault, he didn't have his team prepared, all that. A lot of coaches have come out. I heard Monty Williams say that after the Suns lost, that he didn't have his team prepared. Okay, fine. That's a coach stepping up and taking the responsibility of what that what we just witnessed with their loss. Doc Rivers didn't say that. Okay, I don't have a problem with it. But for the people that were coming down on Doc Rivers saying that it was his fault, you got to hold the players accountable for not being ready. You don't necessarily always need the coach in a spot like that where you kind of come back and taking a, a good hold of the series along with the Miami Heat, knowing that an opportunity has now presented itself where, okay, we got action now. <laughs> we flipped this thing. We've turned this thing around. And the Miami Heat are the team that's supposed to beat us as the number one seed. 
the pressure is on them after we have taken these two games and for them to come out there and not be ready and not be prepared and not they, prepared they were by their coaching staff, but to come out and not put their best foot forward in that spot, it was really disappointing because I thought that uh, the pride would eventually take over as basketball players, as professionals, as men to come out there and, and let everybody, let the basketball world know that, okay, we are here. Uh, those first two games, we didn't have our big fella. Big fella came back. You saw we are a different team. And, and then we did not see it again in games five and six. And it was really, really disappointing. And I'll tell you what, in game six in particular, it was really disheartening to see Danny Harding go down, uh, Danny Green go down the way he did, man. And, mm-hmm. and I don't and I don't know if that psychologically just did the 76ers in, but he was a big part of them yeah. even getting to that point. And you go back to, uh, let's take it back to the 21 playoffs where they were in the second round against the Atlanta Hawks. D. Gunny goes down in game number three of that Hawks series, and they wound up winning that game, so they took a 2-1 advantage. But in games four and five, they lost after blowing leads, and they missed Danny Green. And maybe that was something psychological where they see their teammate go down. That can take a lot out of you, especially uh, maybe hearing his screams, hearing how he went down, see, hearing, seeing him not being able to put the weight on his leg and, and how devastating that injury could have been. And we ultimately found out that it was a torn ACL and LCL, and he's going to have a long recovery back as a 35-year-old player. That's not going to be easy to do. So psychologically, that is probably something there. But you can also look at it the other way psychologically, D-Gun, where you say, number one, we're playing for our season. And number two, let's play for our brother who just went down and may not be able to play in the rest of the, the playoffs, however long we are in here. And they decided to, to go the other way, where you give, the, give some of the credits to the Miami Heat for being a tough team and fighting and knocking down a team when they were looking to be down, I, I guess you can say. They look like, they, you know, you can just see it as an opponent. Oh, we got these guys. And you give Miami Heat, the Heat credit for that. But you also look at the 76ers and say, where was your fight? You know, where was that? Where was that that dog in you that we needed to see from you where you had that determination of making sure you extended the season, not only for your fallen brother, for yourself, your, your, your next teammate next to you still playing, and for the fan base who has stood up for you all season long where you've had to deal with this whole thing from Ben Simmons to COVID mm-hmm. and, and then making the trade finally to this new iteration of the 76ers with James Harden. Things look so promising. You get to the postseason, you you, you fight against the Raptors in round one, and then you get an opportunity again to fight once more in the second round, and, and you, you lay down the way that you did. And disheartening, as you said, was a great word. I, um, I look at that Miami roster, and then we find out they have eight players on that roster who were non-drafted players. They took on the junkyard dog mentality, man, and they just kept attacking, kept attacking. And, you know, you can only blame so much on a coach, as you yes. just alluded to. But I think Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in all the game for yep. the way he gets his guys to fight. You know, these are guys that are hungry. They, they want to keep jobs. They're not the high first, second round, uh, first, uh, high first round pick or even second round pick pedigree. They're a bunch of junkyard dogs out there just barking and scrapping tooth and nail, man. And because they have so many interchangeable parts, they're not the biggest team out there. But, man, do they play well as a cohesive unit. And and you start at the top, Gun, where you go to Pat Riley with his success and how he's 
a change from the head coach having all of those great years with the Lakers and the Knicks. And then he goes to the heat and to the executive office. And then we get that heat culture that everyone talks about so much. And then you have Eric Spolster who came from a video coordinator to being one of the very best head coaches in the league, uh, future hall of famer championships under his belt. And they continue to change things with their organization from the big three to then now to your point where it starts with the other leadership on the floor of the dog mentality mm-hmm. of the underdogs, the, the undrafted, but the later draft is when you look at Jimmy Butler, he was the number 30th overall pick D gun Marquette number 30th yep. overall pick from that Marquette team coming in as a, what was said to be a defensive player, defensive minded player. First, the offense comes second. Well, we've seen that continue in the NBA, but he's also evolved into one of the best two way players in the NBA all-star multiple times, all NBA player multiple times, had, had took the Miami Heat team to the finals in the bubble, uh, helping them there. We had high aspirations, hopefully, that he would be here as well for years to come where he would help the 76ers with that because that was the type of mentality that they needed to go along with the production that you got on the floor. You go to Kyle Lowry, a late first-round pick from Villanova in, in, in the year that he came out, went drafted by Memphis, 20th he was picked in the 20s turned out to be possibly a future hall of famer as well and an nba champion pj tucker same deal uh uh, undrafted player i believe he was coming out of the university of texas had to go overseas and, and and make a make his mark there come back and he has become an nba champion a key piece a dog a tough player and then you run off max struess gabe vincent in the starting lineup for Kyle Lowry in the final two games because Kyle Lowry was unable to go. Max Struess being one of the best players in the final two games to close things out for the Miami Heat. And everybody's looking around, who? Who who is Max Struess? Where did he come from? Why don't we have one of those on our team? So you're absolutely right that that's, that's what they have. And a lot of it is, when I look at it from afar as a basketball fan and being around this team, I'm a little jealous of, of how they do things in terms of the toughness and, and how they, they are well-prepared when they are out there. And I do think Doc Rivers has the team prepared. But that toughness that they, that they exhibit on the floor, I want to see that on the Sixers. They are missing that. And you can have a lot of really nice guys and they can still produce and get things done. But in the end, you still have to have it in you to be tough. When they were down by 35 points D-Gun in that game five, my thing was, how come they haven't laid anybody out? Exactly. How come you haven't touched anybody that's coming to the paint? (laughs) Letting them know that, all right, you got the better of us, but we're going to get you. We're going to make you feel this and let you know that we're still going to be here and we'll see you in game number six. And I I go back to games three and four where the Sixers turn things around, turn the series around, and P.J. Tucker is picking up technical fouls by getting into an argument with Matisse Thibault, of all people, who's not looking for a fight. But Matisse Thibault didn't like something that, Tucker did. Tucker didn't like something Matisse Thibel did. Now they're nose to nose. And George Niang steps in to kind of break it up. He's slapping George Niang's hand like, get off me. You, you know, and, and letting you know that, number one, I'm ticked off of my team for playing the way that we're playing. And you guys are smacking us around. But let me let you know that I'm setting the tone here that we're still going to bring it. We're still going to fight. Yep. And that also comes into the 40 points that Jimmy Butler gives you in that game four, even though it was a loss but they go to Miami, they do their job. And I just felt like there was no, there was no toughness in that game five, laying them out, touching them in the paint and, and letting them know that that's not them. I know, 
but you can't just let them beat you down the way that they did. And to, to lack of a better word, kind of punk you a little bit. I don't understand why they never made any adjustments on Butler in particular. They played right. a, a Matador defense on Butler the whole series. They just let that man do what he wanted. This was the disappointment where Matisse Thibault comes into play from the Raptors series. Maybe that was a mental thing because of his uh, lack of vaccination <clears throat> and not being available. All of that where he's a part-time player now. Yeah, because you would look to him first in that starting lineup and say, okay, you have Jimmy Butler. Let's see if you can slow him down. He's going to score sometimes, but he's also going to be a facilitator, and he's going to do those things to make winning plays for his basketball team. It started there. And then you're asking Tobias Harris, who's that's not really who he is, but he did step up to the challenge. I give him a ton of credit for one who has been very critical of him and of what he has done as a sixer. I thought that he was the most consistent player in the postseason, Gunner, because I just thought he brought it both offensively, defensively, uh, every night, the best way that he could to the best of his ability. That's not to the level of Jimmy Butler, but uh, Danny Green is another defender. He did all he could, but he's up there in age and he can't, you just simply can't defend that way. So I, I thought that a lot of it was Matisse Thibel and he just simply was not, in my opinion, as locked in as we've seen from him in the past. Uh, I'm not making a, an excuse because I'm disappointed in him, quite frankly, because when you're talking about a team, and a team goal that you all have. And we come up to this, this one situation of what you need to do to help the team. You made yourself unavailable after having one shot, not getting the second shot. Everybody has their opinions and your pro-choice of how you want to go about doing things. But in the end, Gunner, this is a team thing. And you let your team down. And part of it was, as a team player, if you were locked in for the first six games in the Raptors series, mm -hmm. you're still in the starting lineup potentially for the Miami Heat series. Maybe things are different in these games that they've lost, and maybe things defensively are different. You are keyed in on Jimmy Butler because you never got in your head about how things went uh, because of your uh, lack of availability. And even just simply on the injury report, D-Gun, ineligible to play. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so so uh, he was ineligible to play, and I think that got into his head a little bit. That seeped into there. And that's part of how you defend Jimmy Butler with an all-NBA defender trying to slow down their best player. I thought one of the funniest things in this series, and we could tell how much this series meant to Jimmy Butler and how much he was playing with that proverbial chip on his shoulder, is when he's walking in the tunnel to the locker room and we, the cameras catch him and he yells out, they picked Tobias Harris over me? You could tell this meant something special to Jimmy and I'm sorry, but I burst out laughing when I saw that. <laughs> I did too. I, I did kind of one of those double, like, Oh, I didn't expect that one coming because since he left, we've never really heard him express that we've heard the, uh, on, on another, you know, forum there where he was talking to JJ Reddick about how you, what really bothered him was as a man, Brett Brown allegedly saying, all right, well, who's going to keep him in check? And he's like, I'm a grown man. What are you talking about? Keep me in check. And that turned him off about coming back. The reports of he was offered the five-year uh, max extension, but uh, there were some issues there with Brown potentially. Same with Ben Simmons because Jimmy Butler had the ball in his hands. And how was Simmons going to be able to deal with that going forward for a full season and, and all of that? But I never heard the Tobias Harris angle of it where he said going back into the locker room like he did, Tobias Harris over me? 
Yeah. And that was the sentiment gunner of a lot of Sixer fans. Like, really, this is who you're picking over, over Jimmy Butler? No disrespect to Tobias Harris, but if we had to choose and we're all lining up on, on the court and we're picking fives, we're picking Jimmy Butler first. And if we're talking about the same money, I think that's an easy decision. So I was really surprised. And yes, we've seen him so many times over the course of the regular season, these last uh, two seasons where he has played against the Sixers in the bubble and then the last two where fans are allowed back in the building where, I mean, man, uh, I just, you look at him, you miss him, that type of play. You worry about the money for his age going forward, but look at where he has his team now. They were in the NBA finals in the bubble season. They're back yet again uh, in the Eastern Conference finals with an opportunity to represent the East in the NBA finals. And uh, you, you knew he wanted to beat this basketball team. He was locked in. And then to hear what he said about wanting to still play with Embiid and wish he was playing with him. That really got six to fans, Gunner. Oh, oh, man, they, that really got That really got them. After the series is said and done, Doc Rivers steps to the podium. And, of course, uh, one of the uh, highlights of the discussion, you were there for the exit interviews and stuff like that, was when Doc alluded to how Joel Embiid's thumb was just hanging there. He couldn't grip the ball, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. And, you know, that man's a warrior. I'm, I'm going to get that man his props. He's a warrior, played with a mask on, which is not a comfortable thing to do when you're sweating up under there and you're playing with a fractured bone around your face. But, but I will say this also, Devon, if you are deemed well enough to step out on that court in any sport, that means you are well enough to give a maximum effort. And what did you think of Embiid's overall effort? Should he have even been out on the court for those last two games? I know it was a do or die situation, right. but, if it, but if it was as bad as you, you're saying it was, should he have even been out on the court? Well, again, you give him credit for preparing himself and fighting so hard to get out there. Number one, the concussion protocol, having to get through all of those things, pass those protocols, get through those tests to be out there on the floor. Then already dealing with a thumb injury and you covering football know that quarterbacks who have had it, that's not an easy thing to do to grip that no. basketball, that football. No. I've had it just playing basketball myself where I've had that same injury and being a knucklehead feeling like you're fearless and you just wrap it up. I actually had a brace to put around it that they, that was given to me. And it's not an easy thing to do. And it was also, mine was on, uh, not on my shooting hand, but my offhand, but that's the shooting hand. And that's tough to deal with. Uh, but in the end, as you talked about, when you see the play, uh, when you, you, number one, you give them that credit. But then when you're out there and you evaluate it, and after game D-Gun, our job is to analyze what we saw. Sometimes you feel like the effort wasn't there. He's fighting through so much. Um, should he been out there? If he felt like he can help the team, yes. But when you're out there, you got to give 100%. And I felt at times that uh, it cannot be an excuse in the moment because you decided to play. And un unless you're pulling yourself out of the game and say, I just can't go anymore, I just don't have it, I've given it all I could, you're out there and you have to give it your best. Now, he took a lot of shots in that final game. So he did try to do that a little bit more than he did in game number five. Uh, but some of the other things, I thought the pathway to the paint was too easy uh, from the perimeter. And yes, they pulled him away from the basket. I understand that. But sometimes it was like um, there was no resistance of, of, of the Miami Heat players getting into the painted area and getting some really good, easy shots at the rim, layups, uncontested. Doc Rivers having to call timeouts, you know, all these things. But when you're out there, Gunner, you got to play. 
And, and I didn't think he gave it his all in, in those final games. I commend him for getting back and trying to be out there for his team. But I just didn't think that he, he gave it his all in the, in the very end. Sixer fans are screaming, Doc Rivers has to go. James Harden has to go. But Daryl Morey steps to the podium and tells us, Doc is coming back. James Harden sits uh, at the podium and tells us he expects to be back. Morey seconds the motion that we can win with James Harden. What's your mindset? Should one or both be back or should neither one of them come back? Uh, I, I think that Doc Rivers should be back. He, he hasn't done anything great. He's been very good, but he hasn't done anything either to lose his job. 100 wins in the regular season and in his first two, 49 in year one in the 72-game season, that was pretty good. We know about the Atlanta exit. He had a big part of that. Well, ben Simmons was number one for me. And in this particular season, second best record in the, in the Eastern Conference behind Miami, tied with Boston and Milwaukee, but they end up with the fourth seed. And I think he should be back. Uh, that, again, I've never been the that's biggest. That's not what Sixer fans want to hear. No, that's not. Uh, I've, <laughs> never, I've never been the biggest fan of his. Um, and, you know, and uh, I, I've had my issues with him over the past, the stubborn ways. Uh, that Gun, you've seen it. You've covered people for a long time. You can yeah. even even with that, you not necessarily covering the Sixers, you can see some tendencies in him where you'd be like, okay, I can I can understand that. So the stubborn guy that he is, uh, maybe not listen to a coach, the coaches as much as I, I think he should, and some of the adjustments being locked in on veterans where he should give some of the younger players a little more opportunity during the regular season where maybe they can step in the moment where you might call their number in the postseason to help you win that one game for whatever production they gave you, uh, seeing uh, some, some of the young players there just sit there and, and not play. I have those issues with him, right, uh, Gunner? But um, I also look at things um, and, and I say that he should be back. Now, the James Harden part, you made the deal. You got to bring him back. The only problem there is the money issue. I, I'm not giving him, outside of his $47 million that he might opt in as a guarantee with the, with the uh, player option, 47 million, 47 and a half million. Um, I cannot give him a maximum contract of up to $230 million over the next few seasons. That's just not happening. So that's where the realistic nature of things have to come in with the relationship of Daryl Morey and James Harden. They've been tied at the hip for years. That's why he was comfortable making this deal. But you also have to evaluate in the moment and who he is. He is no longer that James Harden from the Houston Rockets where he's averaging mm-hmm. 33 points a game, carrying a franchise like he has in the past. So they have to evaluate it for what he is going to give you in the future, not what he has done in the past. So I'm very curious to see uh, what they do, what they are able to come together with. Because Maury pointed out, he said this in one sentence, James Harden is a great player. We know who he is. He's a very good player. So he called him two players in one sentence there. A great player and a very good player. I would lean more towards the latter, where he's a very good player. He's no longer a great player. Very good players does not warrant the kind of money that has been discussed when James Harden name comes up. So I can't give him that kind of money. So now when we talk about Maury, this is where we are tested with him. Putting the relationship aside. 
understanding that the nature of the agreement was if we bring you here, we extend you, but it's also based off the production and the level of play that you give us. He did not give you enough where I'm looking at and feeling comfortable throwing $50 million or $40 million a year annually to James Harden over the next four to five seasons. That cannot happen. So relationship as a fan with Daryl Morey is going to go a long way with not only what he does with the rest of the roster, but also knowing that the relationship that he and Tad Brown, who's the CEO, also from Houston, of the 76ers, where they put that aside and they understand that they can come to an agreement with James Harden that is necessary and conducive to make this basketball team better going forward and not hamstrung because they feel like they owe this man that kind of money because of their past relationships. I thought Embiid said it best at the exit interviews when he said, at some point you have to stop looking at the coaches in the front office and start looking at the players. And we have to realize we're, we were just not tough enough mm-hmm. to get through the wars. Um, so with that said, what do you do moving forward to make this team tough enough? Niang, you know what? I'm, I don't want to see Niang. I don't want to see Korkmaz. I mean, but what do you do to make this team tougher? How do you how do you improve the team? Well, first of all, Deegan, I think you have to find uh, I do when you when you're identifying players that are coming in here next next this offseason for next season. I think it, you do have to look at some of those things of, of as far as the identity of toughness. So when you identify these players, there are plenty of players out there. However, they acquire them. This is their job, obviously not ours. To talent-wise, number one, bring those players in, but talent two, to find out with what's within. We 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 think we can see over the course of the seasons when we look at players and say, oh, that guy's tough. That guy has a lot of dog in him. Just as easily as we can identify them and say, that guy is not tough enough to be on my team. And so I think they have to focus on that. They have to figure out, number one, the hard situation. Number two, they have to figure out, Gunner. Are they going to bring Tobias Harris back? There's a lot of money there on his contract over the next couple of seasons where he's the highest played player on this basketball team. Doesn't warrant the the production. Good player, not a very good player. (laughs) Not a great player. (laughs) So, uh, but, but again, that's, that's, he signed a contract. So, you know, these things come with the contract. There's these types of conversations. So are they going to bring him back? Can they bring something back for him in any kind of deal that rounds out overall the um, the balance, if you will, of this team. Now, he showed a lot in the postseason. Took him a while to find his his role with the basketball team after Harden arrived. Maxi picked it up quicker. He It was a seamless transition for him, not so much for Tobias Harris. So that's number two. But then number three is who's going to be your fifth starter? Yep. Danny Green is going to be out for the year, you, w- you would imagine. You don't want to give him $10 million on that second year of a team option so tough. The business is nasty. I can't pick up that $10 million team option unless I knew I was getting D-Gun some sort of NBA hardship that was going to help me out with that money and that roster spot going forward. So you can't do that. So is it going to be him or Matisse Thibel as your starter? Matisse Thibel is eligible for an extension after his third season. After what we just witnessed. No. <laughs> thank you. Okay. <laughs> then you go to the bench. D-Gun basically. As you said, George Niang. So you're looking at, all right, if Tobias is coming back, Tobias Harris, you have Harris, Maxey, Harden, and Embiid. Those are your four. Five on out. We got to figure some things out. George Niang, you already have your questions. Furkan Korkmaz, 
Now he's going to be on his second year of his $15 million deal. So he has two years, $10 million left. Shake Milton, he's going to be on his final year of his deal, if I'm, if I'm correct, uh, that he will be uh, one more year left on his deal, if not a free agent this offseason. I have to brush up on that particular player. But then everyone else, DeAndre Jordan bought in as a buyout candidate. Paul Millsap coming in in a trade with James Harden. Don't need to bring those two back. You have two young players and Paul Reed and Charles Bassey where you want to figure out if they have anything of value to your team where they can be a, a rotational piece. And, and the young player in Isaiah Joe, who I thought should have gotten more time during the regular season to see if he can give you something when the playoffs came around. And then your last year's first round pick last year, Jaden Springer, who is he? <laughs> so they have a lot to do from the gun, basically five on down the rest of the roster and figuring out what this team is going to be uh, upcoming. So this is a big offseason for Daryl Morey, not only for the James Harden piece, but the Tobias Harris question. And then also that fifth starter of Green, Thibel, or other. And then putting together a formidable bench when you get into the playoffs that you feel comfortable knowing that if I have to take James Harden off the floor because he's in foul trouble, I'm not worried because player X has me covered for the extended 20 minutes that I may have to give him tonight with his production. So this is a big off season for this basketball team, big off season for Daryl Morey and Elton Brand in that front office. Yeah. I can't wait to see how it all plays itself out. All right, let's take a quick spin around the rest of the NBA playoffs. Let's start in the East uh, Milwaukee. The King is dead. Yeah. Uh, Boston put a beat down on him in game seven. Now they move on to play the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I tell you, Boston, man, they, they hit 39 threes against Milwaukee in the last two games. Who do you like between Boston and Miami in the East? So Milwaukee, number one, was my pick to come out of the East when things got started. But you had to pay attention to what Boston was doing since the turn of the calendar. They turned it up. Emi Udoka, they figured things out. Marcus Smart became the point guard. The two Jays and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown figure things out there also as teammates, not just scorers, but facilitators as well. And Al Horford uh, being able to turn back the clock and be the player that uh, he has become again for the Boston Celtics, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, all things have started to work out. So hats off to Emi Udoka uh, with what he has been able to do. So for me, I lean Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals over the Miami Heat because of their scoring ability where it becomes so easy for them with the two J's. Uh, they, they run some seamless things. They are very good. Defensively, I think, though, is really where you lean them with the advantage over the Miami Heat because while Miami plays a really good brand of defense, I think the scoring from the two stars that they have, and Jason Tatum is becoming a superstar yep. <laughs> for that basketball team, but I think defensively they have so many pieces that match up well with the boss with the Miami Heat, where Horford can defend Bam out of bio. And you also have the Robert Williams piece. If he's healthy, he's been able to rest. We'll see where that goes. And then you have where the two wings in Tatum and Brown have elevated their defensive play, where they can defend Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and maybe take out Max Struess. PJ Tucker is there to do the same thing. And, and also, just uh, uh, P.J. Tucker can do the other thing on the same thing on the other side. But you have the defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart, who's going to take 
their best play and try to take things out there. So I think defensively with what Boston has been able to do, the scoring ability of the two Jays and having the role players also step up in those big moments and help win games like Grant Williams did in that game seven, having a career high hitting seven threes uh, for that Boston Celtics team. Gunner, I'm leaning towards the the Boston Celtics to represent the East in the NBA Finals. All right, let's go out west. I don't think anybody saw the Dallas Mavericks coming out of the West. And you talk about shocking the world. I don't know what Phoenix was doing in a game seven. And we we break down what the 76ers didn't do. Oh, my goodness. I think Phoenix was still out in Scottsdale, Arizona somewhere enjoying, enjoying the nightlife because they didn't show up from the opening tip-off and they got embarrassed. Yeah, that one hurt my heart. Um, <laughs> as you know, with my cousin being on that team and um, looking forward with the Sixers season now out to travel out West to yeah. uh, catch yeah. some of the Western Conference Finals and the NBA Finals, hopefully again. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, look, uh, they were golfing with our friend Seth Joyner out there in Arizona. <laughs> and uh, that's what they were doing because, look, Dallas just got hot. Sometimes when you're just that good and that hot on that particular day, what are you supposed to do? Luka Doncic is a top five MVP finalist, and we know how great he is. That, that, that's a great player. And you know when you have a player like that is able to carry a team, but he didn't have to carry them. They were hitting their shots. Uh, the Phoenix Suns were hitting their threes. Uh, they couldn't figure out Luka Doncic defensively. And then you have Jalen Brunson stepping up. Spencer Dinwiddie, he drops 30 points to help out in a closeout game. And they just got hot, man. And you have bad nights like that. And the bad night for the Phoenix Suns came at the wrong time. Chris Paul seemed to uh, lose a step in, in, four, in four games. <laughs> and and uh, a lot of that you have to give credit defensively to what Dallas did. So now you have Dallas and Golden State in that Western Conference Finals. And I think I'm leaning Dallas as the hot team right now, where I know the experience is there for the Golden State Warriors. But the way that Dallas is playing right now and taking down the number one overall seed in the entire playoffs, Woo! I'm leaning Dallas right here. So he's picking Dallas and Boston to meet for it all. Hey, man, I yeah. can't thank you enough for spending a few quality moments here on Gun One. Hey, everybody, you know him. You love him. One of the most insightful individuals I know. I'm, I'm a proud to call him not just a colleague, but a friend. He is Devon Givens of 97.5. I advise you whenever he's on the airways, listen to him. You will learn something about basketball and other topics as well, man. All right. So that's going to wrap up this latest edition of Gun on One, uh, powered by Patterson Square Garden. For my man, Devon Givens, I'm Derek Gunners. I tell you each and every week, everybody out there, stay blessed in these times we live in. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. Until next time, so long, everybody.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.